Hi, and welcome to the Handbag Designer 101 podcast with your host, Emily Blumenthal, handbag designer expert and handbag fairy godmother, where we cover everything about handbags from making, marketing, designing, and talking to handbag designers and industry experts about what it takes to make a successful handbag. Welcome, Rafi Tatanko, to the Handbag Designer 101 podcast. Rafi, you are the founder, creator, creative director of pretty much everything Rafi, correct? Yes, yes that is correct. Pretty much else and I. Oh, man. <laughs> How many years has it been? Uh, since I launched? God. I'm the first time. 98? <gasps> <laughs> I didn't even know it was that long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still at it. <laughs> Listen, if we're going to OG status, I mean, I brought you to Stad. They were like, find a designer to bring with you. I'm like, I'm calling Rafi. <laughs> that was a fun weekend. Yes. Yes. No, completely. That was fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So were you born in the Philippines or were you I born was, here? Yes. I was born in the Philippines when I moved to New York in 1989. How old were you? No pressure. 21. Ah, so you did all of your schooling in the Philippines. Yes, yes, yes. So no, it was as I wanted to come to New York because when I was in the Philippines, I already had a business. I was 18, I think. I had an atelier of like 30 workers doing clothes. How do you have an atelier at 18? <laughs> and how are you adult enough to do that? Oh, well, I wasn't, but kind of worked out. It started with a seamstress on my kitchen table, essentially. And it grew from there. And people wanted the clothes I was making. And before I knew it, I was like, oh, we need more. We need more. We need a tailor. We need so somebody. you were in oh. high school. Uh, do you... First, I would say like freshman college. Okay. So um, is anyone in your family like within the crafts world? No, actually, both of my sisters at that time in the Philippines were fashion models. So they were my exposure to fashion, which was- So early. you're the youngest? Yes. Yeah. Of and three. It was, great, it was a great education, actually, because I could see, you know, it was like, for me, it was really like a eureka moment to see these, you know, women who are like essentially college girls transform themselves into like, you know, like creatures of the night with like, you know, like- all these like incredible fashion and modeling and this whole world was so seductive, you know, to a teenager. And I was hooked. I loved it. So I started making clothes for myself. At that time, there was no fast fashion. So you really had You to, were the fast fashion. <laughs> well, as fast as I could make them. I mean, because I was literally making clothes for friends to wear every weekend for- So you taught yourself how to use a machine? No, I didn't sew any of it. I had seamstresses and a tailor to do all that stuff. I would sketch it and they would make it for me. And it was kind of like a, you know, you learn as you go. I mean- Were like, you going to pull materials and fabrics? I mean, I know that- our Yeah, we had a whole, we, we had a big um, area for wholesale fabrics and stuff like that. And, you know, I had a runner who would like run there every like day to like buy fabrics and buttons and all that stuff. And and at that time in the Philippines, everything was so like preppy. And I really was kind of more thinking about like Yoji and Ray Kawakubo. So that was more my vibe. And I couldn't get any of those clothes there. So I was just like, let me emulate what they're doing and see if I can create kind of like in the mood of this course. At that time, there was only magazines, right? 
And I couldn't even afford the magazines I wanted to buy because ID was so expensive. It was like... <laughs> ID magazine. I can't... Wait, can I ask you, though, the, the designers you just referenced? Oh, my God. No. Hey, I'm here for it. But the designers that were your inspiration were Asian designers. Is that why? Because, you know... No, I also love Gaultier. What did I love? I love Claude Montana. Like all of those, you know, I mean, I kind of loved all of them. The Americans, interestingly, not so much because I, I just thought clothes were a little basic, except Zoran. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember Zoran. Oh, um, yeah. Was, and there was one collection Calvin did that was kind of like so not Calvin, which yeah. I kind of loved. Mm-hmm. It was like very kind of Moroccan, kind of, you know, Eastern inspired. I was like, wow, this is... And actually, I... Okay, now come to think of it, I also love Perry Ellis. Oh, when he was... Yeah. Silhouettes and, you know, it was like preppy, but also like oversized. So he did a lot of things that were interesting. Oh, and sorry, Norma Kamali, of course. God bless her. <laughs> she still has a bang. Yes. You know? No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So... I was inspired by all of that. Uh, so if it wasn't for your sisters, be no, totally. for, for me and my friends, actually. I only started dressing my sisters later because my sisters at the beginning were like, oh, you know, our little brother's trying his little thing, you know. Bless. <laughs> I was getting this eventually, like a lot of people were started to wear my clothes. That's when you were just like, hmm, maybe you can make mm-hmm. me something, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was was fun. It was fun. So it never dawned on you to get a sewing machine and do it yourself. Well, so that was my frustration. That's why I (laughs) went to New York to go to FIT to learn because certain things I wanted to do and then Seamstress couldn't do it. I was like, wait, what do you mean you don't know how to do it? She's like, no, I don't know how to do it. I'm like, ah, you know, something was wrong. I didn't know how to fix it. That was very frustrating for me. So I wanted to learn the technicalities and how things were made and understand why certain things drape this way and, you know, just kind of go a little deeper beyond sketching and giving it to a seamstress. And a People don't seem to realize that understanding how materials work back then wasn't perceived scientific, but it really is. It really why is. Why certain materials yeah. work together, right. why one drapes, one doesn't. Right. And, right. and You want you a cow neck, do it in silk. Don't do it in linen, you know, stuff like that. You <laughs> yeah. have to understand the fibrous content of yes. how things work yes. and, you yes. know, X percentage yeah. cotton. I mean, that's straight up chemistry and, and, and math. Yes. Yeah. And it, there's just like, there's so much as well, like techniques that I just didn't know. Like I would look at certain things from like, you know, Vogue and Harper's Bazaar or like, you know, Italian magazines. And I'd be like, so why does this look like that? Why is right. this doing that? Why is this sleeve doing that? Like, what's the secret there? So yeah. So I enrolled in FIT. Was that a big deal? Must have been. It was. And I was really actually frightened because I was like, oh my God, what if I'm not any good? What if I suck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you, do you remember the flight to New York? Because that's a long one. Yes. No, it was kind of exciting. Actually, I flew through LA. I stopped in LA first to see relatives, which was kind of like a nice sort of way to get into, you know, sort of segue into New York. And I remember arriving in New York in the evening from LA and it was like- Terrifying. Actually, I wasn't terrified. I was excited. I was like, oh my God, here it is. Here we go. Let's do this. It was fun. It was just like, you know, I always say I love leaving and I love coming back because mm. it's just something about like that skyline and those lights coming in. Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, for me, like a magnet. I was like, oh my God, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. It was did fun. you, where did you live? Did you live in the dorms? Did no, they have dorms I, I, back then? no. My sister, my sister was already living here at the time. So she, Tessa? 
Yeah, Tessa, yes. All goes back to Tessa. Yes. So she (laughs) lived in the Upper East Side, 89th Street. Yeah, 89th Street. Yeah, really far from FIT. Oh, my God. Yeah, but it was, you know, it was was a five-floor walk-up and... You know, we did it. It was, you know, that was home and I slept in a futon and, you know, it was a tiny, tiny apartment and we made it work. And then we oh eventually downtown. But yeah. You and Tessa. So your second older sister was there before you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Tessa was the first to move to New York. Yeah. So she sort of paved the way for me in a sense, because she's actually the one who sort of convinced me to come to New York. Because She's like, like all this stuff you're doing in the Philippines, this is fun. She's like, like go play with the big boys. <laughs> hmm. That's were you were you as close with her before you moved? Like, I have to say we got closer as I moved. Obviously, because we had you know we had to live together, and it was also like the first time I think we actually interacted as adults. Right. Before then, before that, I was just like her little brother. Right, right, right. Yeah, and also know, like who's buying food and who's doing this, and yeah, you have to then be responsible. Kind of, yeah, we had to sort of yeah coexist. And so it was good. One of the things I like about FIT students, I mean, I've taught at all three schools. And I think it's because FIT is a SUNY, a state school of New York versus Parsons, which is of course private. But the majority of my students at FIT have always worked. And I think it's because number one, the expectation of being an FIT student is that you you need to work because, you know, any student worth their salt only goes for two years if you're an industry person. And number two, because of the cost, most people are paying their own way. Did you work while you were going to school? Yes. Yeah, I was working for a manufacturing company. And actually, I really loved it. I loved going to class in the evening because during the day they worked. So everything I did during the day sort of reinforced what I was doing in the evening. So it was great because I was kind of really into it, like, you know, like day to night, literally. Like I would there till 10 o'clock at night because my classes went from like 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night for like- I've taught those classes, not a fan, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I was there for like four nights a week. It was intense. But at the same time, because there were evening classes every- I would say my interaction with the other students, my classmates were like, they were, listen, if you're going to be there from six to 10 at night, you're not there to party. You're yeah. there to learn. Yeah. And it, I loved it. And that was to me like, I'm still friends with the people I met there, or some of the people that I met there because they were serious. You know, they were there to learn. So yeah. I kind of like that, that sort of, that energy of like, you know, intensity was really, I mean, for me, I thrived on it. Yeah. I mean, you're like, that's the age to do it. Yes. How did you transition from, you know, making apparel on your kitchen table to realizing that handbags would be your jam? You know, to be honest, I really thought that I would be doing clothing in New York. But then when I was working for this company, I realized within the first year that I was like, oh my God, to actually produce a clothing collection one, I don't know what I would have to sell. I have nothing. Like, it just, yes. like, financially impossible unless, and then I didn't have deep pockets. We don't, you know, middle class background. I did come from, like, you know, a trustafarian. You know what I mean? So, and who missed out? Talk about it, you know? Yeah, no, it was wrong just, family. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just like, I looked at those bills because I would sign off on the bills, you know, to give to accounting. And I'd be like, Oh my God! The buttons, of the buttons this season was twenty five thousand, and those are just samples. I was right. Like, Ouch! Like, yeah. 
that's just buttons. We're not even looking at the fabric. And I was like, pattern makers, this and that. And when you start to add all of that up without even like really adding it up, just like really looking at the warehouse or even the sample rule, sample workers. And I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. And that's just to produce samples. That's yeah, not yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Like, I was just like, no, I can't. So that I re- somehow quickly realized that at least with accessories, it's one size fits most. Yep. And uh, size agnostic, yeah. non judgmental fashion. Exactly. Right. Yep. Like, and also ageless in a way and not size specific as well. Right. So that was to me, it was like, okay, so I can still be in fashion, work for myself, and not go under. Right. So much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long after you graduated did you start your own line? I never graduated. <gasps> <laughs> How many years like, in did you go? You know, I have crazily enough, I had like two or three classes left. Dude, you should reach out to them. You get that honorary degree. Really? Yeah, man. I'll make a phone call for you. <laughs> really? Let, me know what, yeah. <laughs> Let me say I'm putting that honorary degree <laughs> the crazy thing is they actually asked me years later to come and speak to the graduating class and joyce brown backstage said to me what year were you? did you graduate i was like honey bunny yeah i'm gonna tell you i never finished she goes oh please don't share that i'm like no don't worry <laughs> did you end up speaking I did. I oh, spoke to man. class. As a proud student. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. No, it was funny. My assistants at that time, they were like holding it in, in the audience because they're like, oh, my God, he's speaking to the graduating class. And me, like, I had a secret. Man, I guess that that preceded social or having bad people working for you to rat you out. Like, (laughs) no, actually, I thought it was just kind of funny. I was like, really? They want me to speak to the graduating class? Okay. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. So you had started a handbag line whilst you were there and then was like, forget it. I might as well just keep going. Yes. I mean, essentially, because I got really busy with, you know, manufacturing and I was kind of doing everything myself initially. I just like did have the time to. How did you decide, you know, what your anchor piece, your core silhouette would be? How did you decide the materials? How did you go through that process so young while still having a day job and work and going to school? God, I can't even remember. I think it was mostly like the beginning was like, okay, I want to do these silhouettes and I wanted something that was kind of easy, somewhat classic, but I wanted them at that time. You know, I wanted them to be in PVC, like patent mm. patent PVC, which I started out with belts, with skinny belts. And then skinny belts, Did I did wristbands. And then actually, it kind of happened by accident. I walked into a store and I was selling them, you know, wristbands and belts, Fred Siegel, Big Drop, oh you imagine. Big. And then I remember the buyer was like, you make bags? I was like, of yeah, course. Of course. Yeah. Yes, to it all. It's just it's just you know running late. You go up <laughs> one. I'm like, oh my god, I don't even. What's know. this back look like? <laughs> yeah. Oh so god. yeah, I mean, like I remember like designing the collection in a cafe with my roommate at that time, and she was like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm designing a collection of handbags." She's like, what? "Wait, your roommate meaning your sister?" Or no, I, I had, you know, she had already her own apartment. I had right. my own apartment. I had, had a roommate, and we were just laughing it off, like having coffee and. I was just sketching away. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, right. Yeah, it was one of those things. And and it was funny. Somehow, like, Mademoiselle magazine heard about me. I don't remember how. 
So the editor was like, I want to come and see the collection. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, oh damn, here we go. Yes, here we go. So <laughs> she came in with like, you know, I think I had like three bags and belts and whatever. And I displayed them on like like a garden, like, you know, a planter, like right. up there in the apartment. And she was really sweet. And she was like, you should go and meet Anne Slowey. I was like, <gasps> oh, okay, who? Oh, <laughs> man. Anne Slowey. I was like, okay. She's yeah, like, that predated Google. You're like, sure, where do I look oh, her up? Yeah. <laughs> so I actually, you're like, it's so funny. I just like so... Ignorance is bliss. I showed up, W Magazine. I'm like, I'm here to see Anne Slowey. And they're like, you have an appointment? No. No. Here. But I have my bags. <laughs> oh, my God. So crazy. And Anne was coming in from lunch. Uh, the security guard was like, there's a guy here to see you. And she was like, oh, hi. I'm like, hi, I'm a handbag designer, blah, blah, blah. I'd like to show you my collection. She's like, sure. Okay. Can you imagine? No, absolutely not. <laughs> And then she asked me, she was like, oh, kids, these are really cute. She goes, but we're working on a story. Can you make a bag for me? I was like, sure. And I'm like, okay. She's like, I'm doing a cork story. Can you do a cork bag? I'm like, sure. Oh so God. I had a cork bag made that was a fold over clutch. Very kind where of did sense. you Where did you get the cork from? Um, my God, where did I buy it from? I bought it from, I forget which company, but I bought it like online. No, actually, no. I bought no. it more on 38th Street. Yeah, I was going to say uh, online. Yeah, That's cute. No, no, no. Not back then. Yeah. Like no, 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 no. And it was so difficult to work with. It wasn't <laughs> really. You know, I was consulting with one designer who was obsessed with cork, like obsessed. And yeah. I've worked with Amram Cork. They yeah. were the Hammock yeah. Awards. Yeah. And yes, it's sustainable. Yes, it's eco, blah, blah, blah. No one wants a fully cork bag. I mean, it's a no. great editorial piece, but right. nobody wants it. Exactly. Right. And it's hard to work with. Yes, it was. Good hard. for shoes, not good for bags. Right. So I did a fold over clutch trimmed in leather and it was this big sort of 70s with a, you know, cutout frame and a loop yeah. coming through and I sent it to her and I was just so frightened because I was like, oh my God, what if it doesn't make it? I spent all this money, blah, blah, blah. And then she called me afterwards. She's like, oh, are you ready to pick up the clutch? I said, okay. I didn't even say anything. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, well, do you, do you want to know if it made it? To the <laughs> like, I'm just here to pick up the clutch. Of course, I was my own messenger. Right. Yeah. And she was like, no, it made it to the page. You'll see. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, like months later, it came out. It's a full page with clergy <gasps> shoes and my clutch in the center. I was like, and then Bergdorf's called like, oh, we'd like to see your collection. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you were in a bucket of happy accidents with this. Yeah, Let me tell yeah. you. No, it was kind of just like, yeah, one thing after another. Right place, right time. Yeah. No, it was it was fun. I kind of went with the flow and, you know, Bergdorf was like incredible. The fashion director at the time was so sweet and so supportive and, you know, gave me a lot of advice and it was nice. And until that was a time when they were actually looking for new people. So it was you know, a good time to be doing that. How did you determine your, like, you know, such a different time, which I hate saying dates us, but, you know, how vested were you in your customer with the price point? Like, were you going to work or if, like- nothing. I mean, initially I didn't know at all. I was just kind of going with, first of all, the aesthetic of what I liked, which was, you know, very much inspired by vintage bags and bought like in 26th Street flea market. Right. I used to buy them from Anna Corinna of all people. My God. I was like her regular. Every Saturday I was there. Like, hey, Anna, what's new? Yeah. 
I would buy all these vintage bags and I would kind of dissect them and kind of rework them so that I could kind of make Have them. Have your own DNA tied to it. Well, also because I'm so much of the vintage bags you can't really do anymore the way they are, right? Yeah. It's like hardware doesn't, you know, doesn't function the way they used to and how do you simplify things? So it was like a really good like lesson for me in construction as well. Yeah, initially it was all just the visual and also kind of looking at the bag and be like, so I think I can sell this for this much. So then, you know, subdivide that into like what the wholesale is without necessarily right, 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 working right. out the real cost of it because I was frightened of the real cost because I, you know, I'm sure and actually I know now that back in those days, I wasn't making money. I was making right. enough for this to pay for it, but right. not enough to like earn a living. Right, right, right. Um, you know, it was literally just circular, right? Like right. As as something sold, I'd you make a new one, and right. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but you know, it was a a good lesson. If you ever wanted to start a handbag brand and didn't know where to start, this is for you. If you had dreams of becoming a handbag designer but aren't trained in design, this is for you. If you have a handbag brand and need strategy and direction, this is for you. I'm Emily Blumenthal, handbag designer expert and handbag fairy godmother, and this is the Handbag Designer 101 Masterclass. Over the next 10 classes, I will break down everything you need to know to make, manufacture, and market a handbag brand, broken down to ensure that you will not only skip steps in the handbag building process, but also to save money to avoid the learning curve of costly mistakes. For the past 20 years, I've been teaching at the top fashion universities in New York City, wrote the Handbag Designer Bible, founded the Handbag Awards, and created the only Handbag Designer Podcast. I'm going to show you like I have countless brands to create in this in-depth course from sketch to sample to sale, whether you're just starting out and don't even know where to start or begin, or if you've had a brand and need some strategic direction, the Handbag Designer 101 Masterclass is just for you. So let's get started and you'll be the creator of the next It Bag. Join me, Emily Blumenthal, in the Handbag Designer 101 Masterclass. So be sure to sign up at emilyblumenthal.com slash masterclass and type in the code podcast to get 10% off your masterclass today. When at which point were you officially a business? Do you remember the moment where you were like, okay, I need to be conscientious. I need overhead. I need an office. Like, when did all that hit? After I would say the first trade <laughs> that I joined, which was at the plaza at that time, the accessories circuit. Circuit. The plaza. When there was how did you know to go to accept? How did you know to do a trade show at the time? Um, I know at least role. Yeah, I think somebody had reached out to me to join, or I think my showroom was joining at that time, and I kind of joined the showroom. I don't remember exactly, but it was a blizzard of 90, when was that blizzard? There was a big blizzard in New York. And because all the buyers were stuck in the plaza, everybody kept walking into our room. And, you know, I met a lot of buyers and a lot of like, and actually had a lot of orders, which was kind of like, wow, okay, so this is real now. All right, what do I do with this? This is beyond now just Bergdorf Goodman. Right. So it was, yeah. And, you know, and after that, I was like, okay, let me get my first assistant. Yeah. It was just like one step at a time. I literally started very, very small with one assistant and we kind of did everything. And it was amazing. I had a partner at the time, my life partner and business partner. You know, we both kind of put our savings together and like, you know, kind of started from there, really. It was, you know, small, tiny. Was it scary? 
to be doing this with someone else because it's a lot of like people don't seem to realize the complications like I mean you everybody I feel like ignorantly goes in working with somebody right you need the support you need the backup you realize you can't be everything to everyone internally and externally so you know then you you say okay I'm design I'm fashion, I'm kind of sales because I I need to be in all these meetings because I need to hear with the buyers, but I'm not the one handling the money. That's, I can't do that. Right. But, you know, then it's like, then you kind of have a boss of your internally and like, was that tricky? No, because I think we were both, I mean, I think we were very clear that it was my name and my company and I literally, you know, aside from working on the back end and supporting all of that stuff, like final decisions were really still mine. Right. So that's very clear from the start. I mean, he was really like an amazing support system, you know, because he kind of did all the back end that was like impossible for me to figure out, you know, speaking. Did to you land. have anything in place if it didn't work out? Like did that ever cross your mind? Like, oh damn, I hope we that, stick together. At that time we did not, interestingly enough, but eventually we did. We, you know, hired an accountant had it, you know, had the company sort of like registered and all of that stuff. And yeah, I was fortunate that he never, like that, you know, it never went south. We were determined to like, you know, do something with this. It was good. It was a good, it was a good uh, partnership. Is he still your partner? He has passed, unfortunately. Oh, I am so, so sorry. Yes, unfortunately, but. Wow. I had no idea. I'm so sorry. All right. That's okay. I, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> comma. Happens, right. Life happens. Boy, does it ever. It's yeah. like, God, you, yeah. you think you're prepared for so much and then like something just sucker punches you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, let's not forget 08. <laughs> right. I think that was a rude awakening for a lot of brands. Oh, that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, on market dropping? You mean yeah. people don't want to keep buying more and more and more and more? Yeah. You mean you're, you're going to cancel my order? Now what am I supposed to do with all my inventory? How many trunk shows can I do to sell the shit? <laughs> yeah. Plus nobody wanted anything, right? Nope. Really, but like, it was like, like literally the floor dropped. <laughs> the floor caved in. How did uh, you handle that? It was very hard. I mean, I, God, it was like, I went from like 15 people to three people in one afternoon. It was heart-wrenching. It was hard. So very, very- Was that that his call saying like, look, we got to get rid of all these people. We can't afford them. It was both our calls. I mean, it was like the writing was on the wall. There was just like every store had canceled their orders. It was like, how do we- What did you do with all the production? Unfortunately, I had already prepaid for some of them. So (gasps) we had to kind of go through them and then close them out. We closed them out, which was also like the worst thing. Can you imagine like stuff coming in and they, they don't even go to the stores. They go straight to like close out. It was hard. That was really, yeah. I mean, but that's life for a business, right? Yes. I mean, yes. you want to at least just make back the money you paid for yes. it, like yes. if anything. Yeah. And then you're like, I'll take whatever you can give me. Yeah. Just yeah. need something. Yeah. No, I mean, this right before 08. I mean, we were like on a high. I mean, my God, we were producing women's shoes. We were doing men's bags. We were doing you know, jewelry even. I mean, we kind of did so much stuff. We almost did too much. And then the footwear, I mean, it kind of produced in Spain. We produced out of Italy, produced out of China. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
before I knew it, I went from like one assistant to like four. It was like, I mean, it was amazing. It was a really amazing trip. And I'm still friends with some of my assistants at that time. And- well, I mean, look, you are a stand-up guy. You're a nice person. I think the people with whom you were working probably understood that it wasn't by choice. So it's oh, not yeah, like you were no, being no. a dick about it. You were like, yeah. I would keep you if I could, but I can't. Right. So and guess what? Like if you read the papers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're all, we're all in it. And, guess and by what? the way, take a bag on your way out because I got some extras. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was bad. I mean, even when we did sample sales, it was like, God, there was like a line all around the block for people who were buying it because the bags were like, I mean, you know, retail was like four fifty. I was literally selling them for like less than a hundred dollars just yeah. to kind of, you know, get, get it out. Yeah. Cash. No, it was hard. It was hard, especially because we were in such a high, you know, we had a license agreement with a Japanese company. They opened stores for us. There was like all this stuff that was like amazing, 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 selling international, you know, doing the shows in Milan from Ecom and Paris. And it was like, we were, it was- And then poof. Go, go, go. And then poof. That was hard. How did you working for Nine West come to be? And then how did it come to pass? You know, that was interesting because I was, at the time I was working with a financial person who- uh, and it was very timely for a designer. It was very timely, yes. To then all of a sudden guest design a, a mid-tier brand per se and take yeah. over. And then by the way, my brand's coming in-house for you to do it too. Right. No, it was, I, yeah, I, I was introduced to Richard Dixon, who at that time was the new CEO. And I remember, you know, we met for coffee and he's like, he goes, what do you want to do? I was like, uh, what do you want me to do? <laughs> he's like, he goes, well, he goes, our business is broken. It needs fixing. He goes, but it's not just one business. It's several businesses. So I was like, oh, I said, I can do that. Which I was like, can I do that? I don't know. Yeah, but I think I can do that. And I already had an offer at a table for another company at that time. That was so much more easier and smaller. And I was like, Which mine? I can't tell you. But anyway, it's been so long, Rabbit. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I'd rather not. But anyway, so I was like, this under the rug. Look at you. uh, Yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, this I can do so much easier. But then Nine West, I was like, that could be fun. That could be a challenge. If I fail, I'll fail miserably. You know, I'll go down in flames at least. Let's do this. And at least you'll look good going down. That's exactly. Then I, and then I met the brand president who I knew for, you know, she was working in Bendel's. And we had lunch as well. And after lunch, we were like laughing. And I was just like, I said, I was like, can we do this together? She's like, yes, we can do this together. I was like, okay. So yeah, it was, you know, as soon as I arrived my first day, I remember my first meeting with like the design team. I was like, okay, I'm really sorry, but we're canceling everything. <laughs> and you imagine? Wow. And we're flying to China in three days to fix everything. Wow. In China. No, how to win, win friends and influence people really fast. I mean, because the the call was like, you do want to, what you want to do, what you do, what you think is right. So I walked in and I was like, this all of it's like not appropriate. I was like, oh my god, like I don't have the answer. We have to do it all together. But I just know in my gut that this is wrong. Like we have to fix this. So we all flew to China, like eight of us, worked until like midnight for like a week until everything was sampled correctly. And then we came back to market. And fortunately, the response was amazing. <laughs> like literally, like nice day. Yes, like well, one of their biggest accounts was Macy's, 
And they actually said, finally, something we can buy. They brought your brand in-house too. Eventually, was- yes. The agreement was they were going to license it. And if I was just kind of like stay quiet for a year while I fixed the business, because I was also overseeing Rachel Roy and Klein. And then oh within Nine West, there was wholesale, international, off-price. So there were like essentially three divisions, right, within one brand. And Klein was the same. There was off-price, there was full-price. Rachel Roy was exclusive to Macy's. So there was a lot of development. And then there was also conversations about bringing in Brian Atwood. I remember that. Yeah. So yeah, all of a sudden, I you know went from like meeting to meeting to meeting. It was like, like I was in design meetings infinitum, <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm sure that was exciting at the beginning, but what brought that to an end? Were you like, this is like the passion's gone. I'm just pumping up no, products. It was private equity. Private equity came and bought Nine West and started subdividing everything and, you know, eventually kind of putting a lot of debt into it and sold it off. So that Were was- you able to get your brand back without any issue? No, yeah. I mean, because it was a license agreement. So they never owned it. They owned the rights to produce it, but since right. they weren't produce it anymore, so it was like, you know, it was time to give it back to me. So it was kind of amazing, actually, because I think at the time when they were going through line item per line item, they were like, oh, we don't own you. I'm like, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> wow. They were like, wow. so we have to pay you off. I'm like, kind of. Yeah. Yes, so. <laughs> no. Yeah, because- because they were going back on the contract you had with them. Right. And they had to kind of like sub, you know, again, because they were selling off the different brands, it was kind of like the writing was on the wall. It was like the end of an era, essentially. And I had a great run. I had a great run. I had a great How time. How many years were you there? Five years. That's a long time. It was a long time. Yeah. But it was, it went so quickly because we were, oh God, we were like, we were in China four times a year. We were in Europe like four times a year. We were like, Nonstop. It was like literally, like I was a. That was faster than you had ever dealt. Like yes, you know, yes, yes. And all of a sudden, you're like, I need to like up my game because I'm now doing what I'm doing on crack. Yes. Yeah. It was crazy. It was, it was a crazy <laughs> time, but it was great. I have to say, I have no regrets. I made a lot of really good friends and connections, people who I'm still in touch with to this day. And even you know the factories I worked with in China, a lot of those people, and of course ceased to work for Nine West and they started working for other companies. But I remember the last time I was in China, which was like 2017 or 18. Pre-pandemic. Um, pre-pandemic. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm in Dongguan people. Like, you know, you can we all have dinner? And like everyone from the old office showed up and we <laughs> had a great time. And we were big like- dinner. <laughs> yeah, it was a big dinner and we're all laughing and reminiscing and it was really nice. And to me, it was like, okay, so you know what? Not for anything else, but the fact that they're all here tonight means so much. Mm. Well, you're also, once again, a nice guy. So it's not like, yeah, I mean, people remember working with people who are not pleasant and you're a pleasant guy. So yeah, I'm no, we sure- would, we, we would laugh about that. I mean, like, God, they, they would teach me like little words and little phrases in Mandarin. And they said, even if we worked until like midnight sometimes, and you know, they would have to like, you know, go home at like one in the morning. Somehow they were like not upset with it. They weren't annoyed with me. Like it was right. like they knew that it had to be done. Right. So we would kind of laugh about that stuff because it's like, and also I was, I was, you know, the first to tell them, like, I'm really sorry if you have to go home, go home. Right. But I'm gonna stay because we need to get this done. Right. They're like, no, we'll stay with you. I'm like, oh, I feel bad. Yeah. You know, I'm going back to a hotel. They're going 
to like travel for like an hour to hour. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. When you leave, we'll catch up on our sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my God. <laughs> We're not that. coming back. Yeah. <laughs> how, because after all that happened and then the pandemic hit, how has that led you back to still pursuing your brand and doing it at a different pace? Because, you know, the market has changed. Social media has changed. Right. right. Brands with fans having right. to share your story, right. you know, like you still know your customer, you still know who she is. Like, are you, has she evolved? I mean, obviously she's older. What are you yeah. doing to capture new people and keep these people coming back? You know, so it's interesting because like recently this company called Front Row Fashion Week had reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do a show in LA. And in my initial reaction was like, oh my God, I can't, I, like I have no energy. <laughs> it's awesome. And then at some point I was like, you know what? Why not? Why not? Because the idea of a bag show was just like, oh my God, it's going to be so boring. Who wants to see tiny bags on a runway? Yeah. I thought, you know what? Why don't I? Like, well, also they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. They they literally were like, we'll pay for everything. Some money. Just show up with the bags. I was like, oh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I, I could, yes, I could do that. So I did it. And, you know, I decided to do like a three minute like presentation essentially of like dancers instead of models voguing with bags. Actually, I have to say like not for anything else, but I was just like, oh my God, this was so much fun. Everybody had a great time. Even the audience was kind of like, they were like, oh my God, like what's happening now? That's so cool. (laughs) Like club music and these girls were coming up with the bags and I had band dancing and all of them had bags. I was just like, make sure whatever you do, there was no choreography. I said, feel the music. Whatever you do, don't make people forget that it's about the bag. Bag. That's and it key. was great. Well and done. It was, and it was a way for me to also like meet new customers. And yeah, so I, I, you know, it's interesting because I think, again, because the bags are sort of ageless, I'm capturing a whole new audience. I'm actually, funnily enough, I'm capturing um, my friend's daughter's generation, <laughs> like their next generation of like, oh my God, this is so cool. Or like, oh my God, we like, we wanted a mom's clutch. So now we want to have our own clutch. And right. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. I just have to keep at it, right? One more question. Now, I know you- I don't know if I answered your question. No, 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 you totally did. But in recognizing your roots from the Philippines, I know you have a clutch that's made from a shell from yes, the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little shell, yeah. Right. That's it. I didn't want to say the wrong, wrong yeah, shell. Yeah, I couldn't yes, remember. Yes, yes, yeah. Are you actively making sure that your heritage and culture is still- always an integral part of the brand? You know, it's interesting because it's not something that I consciously do. I think it's inevitable for what I do. You know, it's like people always ask me, it's like, uh, how do you make sure that like, like, you know, there's a Filipino touch? I'm like, I actually don't think of it that way. Like, it's not like your your silhouettes are Tagalog named. Did I say it right? Yeah, yeah, Tagalog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tagalog. Yeah, no, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess because I am who I am, it'll come through no matter what, right? And I happy about that because it's authentic to who I am. And when people see it, they realize where I am from and from the islands. They're like, oh, we get it. We get it. It comes through. I'm like, I should hope so. (laughs) (laughs) It is my DNA. So yes, yes. But I also love the fact that I'm also working not just with the Philippines, but I'm working still with my Chinese factories, India as well. I mean, for me, I think it's really my interest and love of craft, anything that's handmade. 
anything that you can see that is you can see like someone working at it versus you know something that's a little bit more like manufactured so yeah and i don't produce a lot of quantity i produce just enough so there's not too much overstock to get rid of which is really i mean for me at least that's my I, you know i don't produce thousands as i used to but i'm okay with that you know and i think people like the fact that they don't see that samples themselves coming going they like the fact that when they go to a party they're like where'd you get that you know right i had one really like one of my favorite stories was like this woman who said to me she goes you know i love wearing your clutches because you know let's face it when you go to a party black tie dinner a fancy party the women we she said we women don't dress for men we dress for each other bingo she said so when you put your clutch down at a table and everybody's got their clutch at a table just like game over yeah. <laughs> he puts that like shell clutch. It's like she goes, You could have as many rhinestones on that bag, but this clutch, let me tell you, <laughs> you won't see it anywhere else. And know, it was, your, know your DNA with the PhD. Yeah. Right. So that was it's like, okay, I'm doing something right. I'm connecting with her. And, you know, to this day, that clutch is sold out. I have to remake it. And I'm happy about that, that people still covet it, you know. Well, it is covetable. That's Thank even you. Rafi, it has been an absolute joy. Thank How can so people, well, well I'll, I'll always have you, you know that. <laughs> How, I mean, we honored you at the Handbag Awards. Your video was so emotional. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I could have, like I said, hosted this without you and told your story back to you, but it's it's better with you telling it. How can people find you, follow you, buy your beautiful bags? So social media at Rafi New York, R-A-F-E New York spelled out www.rafi.com. Easy. Three W's. <laughs> Three W's, exactly. And neimanmarcus.com probably has the most of my things as well. Yeah. Still. Still. <laughs> still. Amazing. Yes. Thanks. Oh, yeah, still. <laughs> right. Absolutely. As it, hey. Every season, you're like, oh my Find God. that wave, man. Keep it going. Yes. Keep it going. It has Thank been you. an absolute joy. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much, Emily. Have a great Have week. It. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review and follow us on every single platform at Handbag Designer. Thanks so much. See you next time.